G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon. In each episode, I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. guest today is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter whose debut album, Good Woman, has a quiet intensity where small dynamic shifts can create a big emotional impact. She creates a musical atmosphere like an early morning autumn haze and cuts through it with incisiveness and an inimitable personality. Becca Mankari, welcome to my favourite album. Hi Jeremy, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Of course. Becca, what is your favourite album? My favourite album that I chose was Capacity by Big Thief. She was a shark smile in a yellow van. She came around and I stole the plants in my youth. The vampire Evelyn shone quiet as roses stain. Came over me at a bedtime. But who was right on the moonlit line? Later in my eye, down the road of a dead end blind. It's kind of funny when. I got the email from you. The, always the question of what is your favorite anything has always unnerved me a little bit. And I know that Capacity just came out this past year, 2017, so it's kind of a weird pick to choose a favorite album from just being so new. But nothing has impacted me in the last 10 years like this record, so I felt like it was the right choice for this program. I'm always really interested when people on this show choose a recent record particularly something that's this recent that's less than a year old because I think it speaks to a maybe a different kind of relationship than something that's been like a companion for you through a big purity of your life this I guess indicates the impact it's had on you is there's been a kind of intensity to it if it means this much to you this soon yeah and I had actually discovered Big Thief just probably from friends and I didn't I didn't feel that way at first like I listened to Masterpiece the first record that came out in 2016 and it started to kind of grow in me and then I really loved it and then when Capacity came out you know when you're so close to something else it's kind of difficult to like digest it and then when I really did I don't know it was it was something that I hadn't heard somebody do for so long like it felt so powerful and I, I mean I've read articles where there's an NPR article where they were talking about a fan who'd come to see her from like a, a long distance and he said nothing has impacted me like this since like Nirvana and that was yeah. huge and I feel like there is something about this band that is touching a nerve that hasn't been touched in a long time Let's talk about what that nerve is then, I guess. So when the album did reach that point with you, when you realized how deep it was getting in for you, what specifically were those qualities or what was it reaching for you from your perspective that was so special about it? You know, because of us being artists as well, for me as a writer, I felt like when I understood this feeling of real honesty and vulnerability... And not uh, self-pity, because the songs are really heavy. I mean, I don't know if you have listened to the record a lot, but um, once you really listen to it, you hear she's talking about 
some pretty heavy stuff, abuse, just some some deep things that could kind of veer into maybe too introspective for people, I think. But the way that she does it, it's almost this peacefulness and this acceptance of letting you kind of feel your own feelings through it. And I'm probably overthinking it even. And I like that. I think she just lets it be something that is really honest. And it's not asking for pity. It's just telling a story. And I think that kind of unnerved me in a way because as a writer, there's things that I haven't ever touched on that I know when I do, it will just break open a new part of me that I hope helps other people, you know? And, and I and I think with listening to that record, I feel like there's such artistry too with the, um, the instruments and how they kind of work around the words to promote a feeling that is just so difficult to explain, but it, you feel it in your gut. It's almost like the supernatural. And I think that that record has like a, almost like a psychic supernaturalness to it. It does have this feeling, and I may be projecting this onto the music because of the stuff I've read about sure. the way she's living and like sure. she's li- like she's lived in a van for yeah. a lot of the last few years because yeah. they've been on tour so much, right. and then she's been spending time out in the woods and yep. she spent the first few years of her life in a cult. So I, I get that feeling too, yeah. like the idea that she's sort of written these songs by sort of wandering off into the woods and mm-hmm. then in some kind of really unfiltered way summoning up these traumatic feelings or experiences and yeah finding something that's both I don't know if at peace is the right way to say it but Mm. like even about it and able to see it it, these experiences through different perspectives sure but then also quite intense and it's not even rage but just some yeah almost though the guitars feel like they rage. Yeah. Like Buck Meek, her you know musical partner. I, it's weird because I'm saying her over and over again, but it is a band, and I I think that in every interview I've I've heard they're really good about you know she's really good about saying this is my band and they write the songs with her and musically and stuff and I just feel like from what I've read of even the way that they produced the two records with Capacity, I guess they had like a friend that had a, a house that was basically not lived in in up, upstate New York and he just let them stay there pay for the electricity and just like build bonfires and play music and be in the cold and you can feel that like you can feel like that they've been in this other world together in this other like ether and they just create this this universe to like walk into I feel that when I listen to the record I feel like I'm entering another universe that is um, such a window and it's such a special thing. I guess it is sort of like a modern day version of the band, like having that house out in Woodstock and Big Pink and making music from Big Pink, which seemed to come from a totally different world at the time too. It did. I feel that way. I feel like once you get to that point with a group of people, it's kind of limitless of what you can do. actually heard her talk about the song Capacity. A friend of hers was talking about how she realized that the human being 
is without capacity, that we are able to go beyond the boundaries of anything we ever thought. And I feel that way when I listen to the music. And I think that's why the songs come out so clearly and so often. You know, I, I, I know that she writes just, she has to write kind of thing. And that's to me, inspires even this next record that I go into because Good Woman was so from my life in the past, but not like in the universe of the life that I have. And I think that's just inspired me a lot to, to dig into that place. I feel like there's a something about that perspective because there was another thing I remember she was saying something about not wanting to label things because it put limits on them, mm-hmm. which is something people say a lot about musical genres. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've had that experience oh, of with course. people like, you're folk rock or yeah. you're indie or you're American. I get or, country all the time and I'm like, where? It's because you live... Okay. I live in Nashville. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. And I read... Okay, I, I was going to bring this up later, but yeah. I remember reading an interview with you at some point in the last... Yeah. Like around when the record came out, I guess. But mm. And there was a question like, are you going to start writing top 40 country songs? Yeah. Why would any, and people? I see that question get lobbed at people who live in Nashville a sure, lot. Sure. And if you just listen to the record, like if you lived in Portland it would, and had made exactly the same record, yeah. why would anybody be expecting you to write songs for Luke Bryan or they something? Wouldn't. I know. I think it's you know it's a trade off. I've been like talking a lot to people about this because it's you know I love Nashville and it's been I've been here five years and I couldn't have done what I'm doing right now without learning from some of the best songwriters in the world. But there is a trade-off, you know? And I actually talked to a uh, person the other day, an interviewer, and, and he was like, he got it, and he, and he said similar stuff to you. And he said, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to wear Fila every day. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't, it feels extreme almost, like that, that you have to differentiate yourself. But I think I've just decided, just continue to do what you do and let people decide what they're going to decide because there isn't really any point, you know, to, to fight it. But... Yeah, it's difficult, and I think it's funny because we get, like, a lot of references to, like, Angel Olsen and, and Big Thief and, like, Sharon Van Etten a lot, and those are my, like, influences in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I think maybe I'll have to move out of Nashville. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I think it's just a continuing to um, go into the universe and make the sounds that we care about. Yeah, we have a steel player who sounds like he's playing a synth, but because it's a steel... It's country, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. How long have you lived in Nashville now? So I moved here 2012, so I guess I'm going on, what, is that six, six years Yeah. Yeah, going on, on my sixth year. year. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. And before that, I mean, you've, you'd moved around a bit, hadn't you, before that? Yeah, it's interesting um, because when I read about Andrianne, about her uh, record and her life, I grew up kind of in a similar kind of, I wouldn't say it was a, a cult in the way that she grew up, but it was a, a religious extreme home. Like, I didn't wear pants till I was 14 because it was against the Bible. It was very black and white. You know, I spent a lot of my childhood in the woods, and I was homeschooled for a lot of my life, too. We were like hippie Christians, I guess, kind of living off the land. My parents were always traveling and taking us with them. So I lived all over the place, and they lived in um, Zambia, Africa for a time. I lived in India for a time. Yeah, so traveling and being in uncomfortable places is just part of my story. And so when I settling down in Nashville kind of feels weird because I don't know if I've ever known how to just be in one place. 
maybe that's why I'm good at being on the road or something. Yeah. Because I've been thinking a lot about the way that influences a songwriter's perspective, particularly around this record too, because as you were saying, there's a similarity in that kind of, I guess, transitory Mm -hmm. existence. Yeah. And there's a difference, I think, people have a strong sense of what home means or like a somewhere that they've left, you know, and then they write songs about like going home yeah. or like what it was like to leave home right. or like feeling the call of, you know, North Carolina or right. whatever coming right, back right, to right. them. But I don't know. Do you feel like there's something in your songwriting perspective that is either unique or just influenced by that and by the constants in your life not being like a physical location or structures around you like that? Oh, 100%. I feel like I've never understood the idea of a hometown. What you just said, I don't feel kin to one place. I do have, in my songs, there's like a references to many states. I noticed that. And this feeling of being home is where you are. And then there's always a search for the next place. I don't know if that's a unsettledness or if that's a, a longing for something else. But I do think that being actively looking creates art for me. So when I am in movement, I always find that I write better. So if I'm driving, I feel like the words just come like streaming into my head because I feel like movement has been my whole life. And that kind of uh, movement with sound, sight, that's how I feel like the songs are influenced and the way that I want the songs to feel when you're listening to them. I want you to feel like you're in like movement with me. And that's why, like, I feel like you can put Good Woman on and, you know, drive down the highway and, like, don't look back kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely movement and different perspectives. I can't thank my family enough for the way that they always encouraged us to, like, meet other people. When I was 14, I went to Peru for the first time, and I traveled all over the country and the world. I'm really fortunate to be able to have done that. It was through a very intense kind of... uh, evangelical way, which has been really interesting to see my parents' perspective on the music that I'm making and even like, I don't know, just the influence of what they had on me, but also the change in what I believe. And also the there's just like so much back history to family. And I just feel like this next record is going to be so much more about that than just the exterior stories. It's kind of the inner story now. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. And I feel like it, it that sort of expands on something you said before and also something, well, I guess a contrast between you and some of the songs on Capacity. Yeah. Before you said, like, there's there's stuff that you haven't written about and you know when you do that's going to be a, it's going to be a turning point or, I don't know, a rip-off of a Band-Aid or something of that nature. Yeah. And I feel like there's songs on this record it feels to me from the way the lyrics are put together and the way a lot of it is like images sort of sequenced next to each other as mm-hmm. opposed to explicit Springsteen-like narrative stuff yeah. yeah, where she's summoned up this event, come up like all the scenes and all the memories that they evoke for her and yeah. she's put it down into the song without spending a lot of time overthinking it because that would make it impossible to commit to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like something that I was writing a song the other day with my guitar player and there, when I listen to capacity, it feels like not just stream of conscious, but the feeling of you can be included in the feeling that she's feeling. Isn't that so 
um, different sometimes from narratives. It's like, yeah. it's so inclusive to you because that could be anything, any feeling. Like there's a line in Mythological Beauty where she talks about her mom. It's about the story where it's a true story. And, and she t- says that often that her songs come from real life. And um, she doesn't really just imagine things in a certain way. I don't want to speak for her, but she talks about on this line, the child in you is trying to raise the child in me. And that line just killed me because I thought about my own family and my own parents who sometimes they feel like they're children who never got to become adults because of maybe something their parent did. And it just translates over and over and over. And so when I listen to that kind of writing it just feels like it opens up for you to interpret and to take and then go and I don't know maybe live different or go to those places in your own self and I think that's pretty magical to be able to do that She was writing that song particularly around the age that her mother was yeah. during the events that she's singing about. And I I imagine, yeah. I don't know this for sure, but like you think based on that line, you get to the age you remember your parents being and, and you thought they were these... You Giants. Know, yeah, yeah, these adults with right. a capital A who yeah. are mature and should have had all their shit sorted out and all that sure. stuff. And then you get to that age and you go... Oh my God! This was <laughs> right. the ver- like the incarnation of yourself that she or he were at at yeah. that time when I thought they were an adult, and yeah. you're not necessarily. Not at all. I mean, that's the one of the greatest truths that happens to you when you become an adult, big A adult. You know, you realize, oh my God, I don't know anything, and that's when I think there is like I don't know, like you know, I love Bob Dylan too, and he talks about. I don't know if you listen to throughout his years. Yeah? Are you a fan? Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Okay, cool. Well, he talks about when he's young and he's writing these songs and he's like 21, 19. How could he write those songs? And with such with a, such authority and such like almost severeness in a sense. Oh, yeah. And then you listen later on in life after he's gone through, you know, le- divorce with Sarah, his wife, children. He has this like in the 90s, he had like this almost like this humbleness. And this beauty, though, like time out of mind, destroys me because I'm like, there you are as the human, the adult human. Shadows are falling and I've been here all day. It's too hot to sleep and time is running away. Feel like my soul has 
turn into steel I've still got the scars at the Sunday nail Who realizes maybe they didn't know so much and he says that he said I couldn't go back and write those songs again and I think that there is such a beauty about growing older and for me my songs you know there's songs that I've written when I was younger and I thought I knew all these things and now I think I know less and maybe that makes me hopefully be able to write even I don't know not better but just in a different way that will reach you know the humanness of us all you are so much older than you're younger than that now. Yeah. Yes. That line. Good night. Wow. I think actually that's I think that's very true. Especially, I mean, Dylan's a great example of it. But yeah. I think a lot of people, when they're younger, especially like late teens, early twenties, yeah. you the, there's nothing you desire more than the to give the impression of maturity and wisdom. Oh, absolutely. And then part of getting older is realizing how stupid you are and how little you know. And then at a certain point, you can embrace that or you just meet in the middle. Yeah. And you, like when Dylan's doing Blood on the Tracks, mm. he doesn't seem older than the person who wrote Boots of Spanish Leather, he seem, uh. but he seems his age. He seems like a guy who is about 30 who'd gone through some shit. Sure. Isn't it so amazing when you listen to the young Bob Dylan, like Boots of Spanish Leather, what an amazing song. I mean, there's nothing I've hardly ever heard that just made me want to cry and just see another world too and and yet he does have a different sound in his voice i love the way his i know i mean it's i just saw him not that long ago and i know it's hard to um understand any of the words yeah and and also like it's a little devastating you almost don't want to see it but i i feel like that's humanness and to me there's nothing better than like at least just going to those places and wherever they take you i i hope that i always transform and, you know, getting back to even, like, Big Thief, I feel like they're a band that's going to be with us for a very long time. And I just can't imagine what's coming next and how, like, her voice will even change. And, you know, that's something I was thinking about when you asked me about the record that I loved. Something about the way she sings, too. There's such a, almost like this, it's like this, like, small, tiny little voice that pierces through you. Because it just comes from this place of just quietness and like, but strength. Like I've never heard such a quiet strength in a voice before. Yeah, it's amazing. I and I always feel when I listen to it, it's like she like there's only two ways for her to express a lot of the stuff she's writing about. It's either she's going to do it like this, mm-hmm. she's going to be very controlled, yes, and small, yeah, or she's going to just yeah. fucking yell it yeah. at you because that's the only other way you <laughs> can get so. that kind of emotion yeah. out. I think so, and I, I was watching uh, her at South by, her video of NPR South by Southwest performance, and yeah, there were some parts where she was singing, and and she always does it different. I think live. I've only seen her one time live, in Nashville this past year, and it's really amazing to see how they change things when they play the songs live, and also the way that she has to almost like strangle her vocal cords to get to a certain emotion, and. It's not, not not that it's not perfect, it's just, um, it's extreme. Like, it feels really extreme. And even the way the guitars are played, it feels almost wrong notes, but it's right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's the best thing about um, music to me in general. It's like, my band and I, we, we, I consider us almost like a unit in that same way. 
I don't love perfection, I just love honesty and emotion. And I always choose players like that. I have players who I've known for 10 years from a very small town in Arkansas called Russellville. Very small town. And I want them to be my band. Not that I have anything against the Nashville players. But there's something about these people who are just, I don't know, they're just not affected by all the learning and the teaching. They're, they're, they're gut players. That's what I am, too. I didn't have any training, which is probably shows, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. You know, at least it's, it's my own. Is there something in that... I'm trying to, like, work out the right way to phrase this where it doesn't sound like I'm insulting either of the two types of people I'm sure. about to talk about because I don't mean it in that way. Sure. But, like, I've just, I was in the studio the last couple of days with a friend who's making a record here, and they tracked the whole record in two days because it was natural session guys who just, like, play the work tape yeah. once and then they go through and, like, they cut it and yep. there's your record. Yep. But that's kind of, you're kind of committed to those decisions they make and you're going to get an amazing sounding, mm-hmm. incredibly well played record, mm-hmm. but there's n- not really going to be a process of discovery or finding like little weird things that might make that unique to you that I imagine you might get with your players. I mean, it's the same way that, again, going back to like the first song on Capacity, Pretty Things, you can hear like the doors opening and the walking. You know that they were recording that in, in the house and yeah. you know that they were... they. That's so special. Like there, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't buy that emotion at all. I think that's why it's cutting through. So I mean, it was on the top of so many lists, best best of this yeah. past year, which is incredible. They're just a small band, you know, that nobody knew. So yeah, with my players and with my philosophy, I don't even want to say philosophy. What a big word. No, no there's nothing wrong with what that Nashville sound is. Obviously, Arm has worked for a long time. It's just, I just don't feel anything when I hear that music. And I just can't do that myself. Again, there is there is nothing wrong with that. Like you said, there's just two different ways of thinking. But for us, we just, we spent so much time on Good Woman finding the magic and, like, experiencing the magic together. Like, we record it in a way that those guys knew the songs like they were their own songs. Like, they had had so much, you can feel, like, the love almost in it. And to me, that's the only thing that I want to do, you know, and that's why with this next record, um, it will be with people that I love again. And yeah, that's just my like philosophy on things. Well, let's talk about the influence that this record's had on you, because I'm assuming Good Woman was done by the time you heard this record, or am I getting the timing wrong there? You know, um, we were still in the studio. Well, I think it was Masterpiece, actually, that was the, the biggest influence on Good Woman. Right, and the then, previous Big Thief Yes, record. and then uh, then Capacity started coming out, like the singles, and we were still kind of finishing up a, a couple of like the, the last little bits on Good Woman. So I was able to hear the two kind of influence each other. It's definitely influenced... Again, the first one influenced me so much. Like, there was, like, Arizona Fire, one of the songs on the record, was done completely in a different way. And I started listening to Big Thief, and I just realized, like, the atmosphere of what I wanted. We're really, we're a very different band, but the atmosphere of what I wanted was there, and I understood something. And I also, my steel player, Blake Reams, he's just incredible, and he's been my friend for 12 years. I mean, we've known each other a long time. And uh, we have had, you know, just some wild experiences. But 
I just said to him, I said, get as weird as you want to get. And, you know, not for this. And this is something else that I just feel so has impacted me about Big Thief. They're not just weird for the sake of being weird. Yeah. Right. So that's a big deal because a lot of music I'm listening to right now, as all things are, when somebody sees a trend or hears something that's really special or different or like true, there's a lot of, I don't want to call them copycats, but there's a lot of desire for that, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, because when you feel something in your gut is real and you're not getting that from your own stuff or or your players, you just are like begging the universe to give it to you. And so sometimes it works out and then, but then sometimes it's not really true to you or you're trying to make it happen. And I think that's the difference with like, even like Buck Meek from Big Thief. What is he playing? Like, what are those guitar (laughs) notes? They're not even like, what is that? And it's just so him though. Like when you watch him play, he just is like in this other universe and he, it's just real. And so it translates so deeply onto the music. And so it doesn't feel to me like they're trying to be different or, or cool. They're just telling their own story. And that's what their bodies are doing. And so when we started doing my record, I just said to the guys, I just said, you know, I want you to feel what you feel and then go to the farthest places that you want to go to. And Blake was like, are you sure? And I was like, okay, yes. And so he did. And, you know, we still even haven't, as a unit, I think, again, haven't we haven't broken into those places yet still. And once we do, good night, good lookout. It's going to be wild. I want to take a digression for a minute because yeah. I read in some interview with you that you're a Tame Impala fan. I am. And just like just before we yeah. started recording, we, we were talking about you know a, a, some Australian music that you like. Yeah. And I just love talking to Americans about Tame Impala. Yeah. What uh, an amazing band. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it about? And when did you come in on Tame? Was it on Was it on Currents or the previous record? Or? No, it wasn't on Currents. It was in the previous one. I had listened to them. I think through. I'm trying to remember who I, I feel like there's another like whole group of people that I hang out with who are like a, a different world and and altogether like my friend Zach Farrow I don't know if you know this band Half Noise it's a really amazing band he plays drums with Paramore so it's a huge band you know yeah obviously but he's just and they're just they their new record is amazing too but he I think influenced me a lot with but I I don't know who told me about Tame Impala but I know that was being played five years ago nonstop in our like summer life you know it just feels so good to listen to yeah but it's also so smart it feels like modern day Beatles to me I mean I know that's the holy grail for a lot of people but there's something about them that has like if I would have listened to them it's the same way I feel like I feel like girls and and boys must just lose their minds when they go to their shows because how cool like the vibe and the the vocal treatment, I, lo- I mean, when I, when I first heard the, the, the way that they recorded, I was like, this is, I mean, this is special. This is, like, exciting. Yeah, I mean, what a badass man. It's always around me, always know 
psychedelic-y. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, it's where there's this whole psychedelic scene in Australia that they're sort of become a mascot for but yeah especially on the last record kev's getting less and less actually psychedelic mm-hmm. and this is much like is i guess he's like a disco <laughs> disco artist <laughs> now funny. sort of on well. on currents but right yeah the beatles thing is interesting because he's kind of a he's not as big a beatles fan as i think it, you'd you'd suspect from listening to the records yeah I would say that I, I bet I wonder if they get that. I, I don't know if they get that comparison, but I, I, I wonder if they would even want that comparison. Well, he used to get his voice compared to John Lennon a okay. lot. Sure. And I think at a certain point it started to bother him because it wasn't in, in, like an intentional, it wasn't intentional thing. intentional, yeah. And then he his dad sang a bit and he heard some tapes of his dad singing. He was like, oh, shit, he sounds a lot like John Lennon. Oh, Maybe I God. do sound yeah. like John Lennon. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it funny the things that we kind of buck when we... You know, I mean, I get the first aid kit girls a lot, and, and oh, okay, yeah, and and, and I, but I think it's just, or we, you know, every girl gets the cranberries. You know, it's just like, or like <laughs> Mazzy Star, we're like, okay, sure. Oh yeah, God. If you're indie at all, like you're gonna get those. Or if you have bangs, it's Joni Mitchell. Sure, if you have bangs, maybe so. I guess actually, yes, I should get bangs. No, I mean they're. I think for all of us, I'm sure there's. I mean, I'm honored by by a lot of things, but. I'm also, you know, I didn't, one of the biggest things for me as a writer, when I started learning how to sing and play music, I kind of didn't want to, one, I didn't want to sound like other girls that I listened to, because I thought, you know, when the Feist movement happened with women, oh, it ruined a lot of great song writers, I think. I, I don't know. I mean, I love Feist so much, but there's so many copycats, and I think that who knows how many great voices are out there, but you just haven't, they haven't discovered their own voice. So I think I always wanted to just sing how it came out. And that's why I didn't cover, I, I don't know a lot of covers of songs because I felt like it was going to ruin my own songwriting to take from them so much, you know. I could ingest it, like, through my ears, but m- more than that, I think it would hurt me. Like Prince, he would talk about, he never listened to other music. He only listened to Prince. Like, it was very, like, I'm not that way at all. But... I get it. Like, he was just like, I'm not going to be influenced by them, but that's very extreme. Well, no, it's interesting. I've heard that from a few other... Sturgill Simpson told me something similar. Like, yeah. he started listening to Southeastern Jason Isbell's record, and he got about three songs in and went, no, I'm going to start riffing this off if totally. I listen to the rest of the album. Yeah. And a friend of mine said, like, she's got this hang-up about... She's only recorded, like, one proper cover song on any of her records because... She yeah she has a similar thing I think I'm not I'm not sure if it's exactly the same yeah. reasoning but she just something about the way she holds her own personality mm-hmm. musically that she finds it tough to do other people's material yeah I mean it's like that's huh, a big thing right now is you know the cover shows which is which is fine it's very very I I wonder if it's only in Nashville is it only in Nashville or is it everywhere I think it's. It's more of an extreme thing in Nashville okay. that there's always something, you know, every second Thursday at the Basement East, yeah. there's the songs of XXX right. playing. Right, yeah. wow. And I get that. And, you know, I, 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 I know them over there and they're amazing people, so I get why they do it. But, yeah, to me, it's always been like a really – I say no a lot to them for many different reasons, but also just because, yeah, I think there is only so much you can do with another person's song. I think that, to me, I've always just tried to – I guess write as much as I could so that I can 
come to the table with my own stuff. You know, one of the the best things that I've experienced in general with the community of musicians is spending time like in like community porch music, you know, as I call it. Uh, Very like I lived in Virginia for a long time and that was very much part of the culture was sharing your own songs and then creating them, playing them together. Like people would add into your songs and bring new life to them. So that's probably my favorite kind of jamming or whatever you would call it is sharing your own stuff and kind of adding in the moment. So when the Basement East do their songs of Becca Mancari <laughs> tribute night in a year oh, or so, God, who's, right. who should be on the lineup? Surely. <laughs> who should be on the lineup? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know. That's, you know, they used to do that back in the day, actually, and that was actually kind of fun where we would – I actually didn't participate in this because I was so new to town, but there was a band called Fly Golden Eagle. Have you ever heard of them? I've heard of them. I don't okay. know the music. This is a this is a while ago. They were they were a great band in town that I don't think is a band anymore. But they would cover each other's music. Like so, one night Fly Gold Eagle would play like Clear Plastic Mass songs, and and vice versa. And so that sounds really fun. I wish we would do that again. I think that that would be a great you know just experience of sharing each other's stuff. But who would play those songs? My goodness, there'd be so many people. I would ask. I don't know if they would say yes, but they might. There are so many great songwriters in this town and bands. And Music Band is one of my favorites. Liz Cooper is a great friend, and she's doing great stuff right now. Yeah, I mean, Brittany and Jesse, Bermuda Triangle crew. You could do a Bermuda Triangle show where you all play each other's songs. We could do that. We basically do that. That's what Bermuda Triangle is. Like I said, it's started from porch music and just sitting around together and, you know, drinking too much and having just like songs upon songs to give to each other and then we said well why are we not doing this for other people it was a joke at first now it's accidentally a real thing but yeah some of the best ideas in the world started out as jokes sure was a joke but not anymore we'll see So getting back to capacity to sort of bring the conversation home, I normally at the end of these conversations ask, what's it like listening to this record now as opposed to all those many years ago when you discovered (laughs) it? But it's not, that's not really applicable in this case. So maybe the question is, what's the most recent part of this album? And you can take it like as like an, an individual line or one of the songs because I find, like, for the first, you know, six months of listening to a record, I'm constantly hearing it in different ways, mm-hmm. especially if, like, I've seen the band, I might suddenly notice a guitar part or hear a line differently sure. or something. So what is the most recent thing like that that's happened for you on this album? So the very first song in the record, Pretty Things, I couldn't listen to for a really long time. I just skipped over it for as long as it's been out almost. I just, for some reason, it just hit me so hard. She has this line, your lips are like sugar daddy. And it's just so, into, I don't know, it just made me feel so uncomfortable. And so I just couldn't, I couldn't listen to it. And so I think that's when I started realizing that I was going to go into writing this next record. I was like, you have to listen to the songs that make you feel uncomfortable. Because you're about to write some songs, I think, that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. 
And so I started listening to that song, and it just hit me so hard. And I feel okay now, and it actually has been, like, a really wonderful experience of, like I said, getting to the uncomfortable places. So, yeah, I think that record, um, you've listened to it one time through, and then again and again and again and again and again and again, and probably again for a very long time. And there's a line in that song, like the title line, which is it's something like, there's a woman in me, there's a woman in you, and she don't always do pretty things. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Becca, thanks for talking to me today about your favourite album. Thank you, Jeremy. This is oh, great. Take me for a fool There's a woman inside of me There's one inside of you Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.